he met mom under a different name. And I just kept thinking, how did they end up getting married? Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> how do you marry somebody when you, <laughs> when you have to relearn their, their name at some point, right? <laughs> this is crazy. Uh, it is crazy. Happy Father's Day. This is a very special episode. I'm actually reposting a conversation my brother and I had, Father's Day of 2020. So here we are celebrating Father's Day in 2021. And the reason I'm reposting it is because I'm also launching a new men's group. It's a small group designed for men who have lost their father. So just as my brother and I reflect on the life and legacy of our late father, I look forward to encouraging and supporting those who are going through a similar process of becoming the father themselves for their family and becoming that provider beyond just money. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with my brother and I as we reflect on our dad and the story of his incredible journey of going from this selfish living to the model provider. So enjoy the conversation. And if you're interested in this small group, it's going to launch in September 2021. Nine months program is going to be virtual with the exception of a couple in-person retreats. More information can be found on justinthomascoaching.com or on the nonprofit website of clthomasfellowship.org, clthomasfellowship.org. And you'll see information and banners about promoting the new uh, men's group. So with all that said, enjoy this conversation with my brother, John Thomas. Welcome to the Become a Provider podcast, a show about how people bless and protect others and how you can do the same. I'm your host, Justin Thomas. Let's begin. Happy Father's Day, John. Yeah, happy Father's Day. So this is a special episode where we can disconnect as brothers on Father's Day. And I thought it'd be really cool just to talk about pop and what he's met in our life and then what that looks like now and i can't wait to hear some stories yeah yeah that'll be fun so i guess maybe to start off with uh you and i are both fathers and um as a quick intro to you you and your family live down in greenville south carolina and you uh you win the award so you've got three kids to my two you got three boys to my two girls yeah and they're all three and under yeah so they're all three and under so what does life look like yeah, lots of noise. Uh, you'll probably hear some kids in the background. But yeah, it's a I mean, it's a lot of fun. You know, the, the boys are great. They just have a ton of energy. And yeah, uh, life with three kids is hard. You know, every every kid you add just, I think it's harder and harder. But it's, you know, you're, you're used to different things. So it's harder in different ways. Um, but from for me personally, <laughs> every kid has added uh, some additional challenges. Um, you know, also, uh, plenty of blessings, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Right now we're going through an Aristocats phase. So we listen to uh, two Aristocats songs over and over again a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, lots of trucks in our house. <laughs> so props to Sophie for uh, taking taking on the boys for a little bit extra time. And this yeah. is maybe part of your Father's Day present. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought it'd be, and this would be fun too for the listeners of the podcast to figure out, oh, they sound similar. Is this Justin talking or is this John talking? <laughs> They get that a lot with people when we yeah, are yeah. together. So, yeah, I just thought, gosh, I think this is an unexpected blessing. Like I was joking with you, I didn't strategically plan this, but here we are on Father's Day. And I thought, what a great opportunity as I've tried to launch this new blog and podcast of Become a Provider in honor of the legacy of our father, Pop. Yeah. And for the two of us to connect on Father's Day and to reflect on Pop's life and just to share some stories and see where it goes. So you up for it? Yeah, definitely. 
what about a childhood memory that you have of Pop growing up that you think stands out? The biggest part of his character that stands out to me um, is how hardworking of a man he is uh, or was. And um, that's definitely been the, the most impactful thing um, from growing up with him and being around him um, that I've tried to sort of um, embody uh, myself and I appreciate. And, you know, I didn't always appreciate growing up, but, you know, I think there's just like memories in my head of, of um, you know, related to him and how hardworking he was, you know, of him coming home from a, uh, you know, a long day at, at work at the furniture store and then, you know, immediately like getting on the tractor to, uh, you know, mow back the, um, the brush that's, you know, on our mile long driveway and how he just sort of had the attitude of like, this is a thing that needs to get done. And so he just does it. And at least he didn't complain to us. I'm sure there were um, moments where uh, he complained to mom or, you know, uh, just in general. Um, but yeah, I have like a specific memory in my head of like him coming home from work and just hopping on the, the, the tractor and, you know, mowing the, the driveway until it got dark and being like, man, this is like a long work day for him, you know, and him just you know, not complaining or whatever. Uh, whereas, you know, my tendency was to, like, I come home from school or from basketball practice and like, I just want to play video games, watch TV or something like that. And it was just an impactful moment to me where I was like, man, that's, you know, that's just kind of like who he is and his character to see something that needs to get done and see something that's like he, he finds it's his responsibility and just does it, you know, with, um, without a complaining attitude. Yeah, that's a great story about Pop. And, and it also sets the scene of how we grew up. So we grew up in rural Southwest Virginia on, a, like you mentioned, uh, a mile long gravel driveway from the main highway. So pretty remote in a, in a, in a, in a technically a log cabin um, <laughs> with an addition to it. And it was beautiful and it was so unique. Yeah. And it's something that now as adults, we can look back on and say, wow, that was a very unique childhood to grow up in with a father uh, and mother who it just provided us a very unique childhood and something that, I mean, is very unusual today with, with the land, uh, with the ability to have horses and dogs growing up. And that took a lot of work. Like you said, Pop had to get on the tractor since he got home and get to work. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is, neither one of us really did too much to help him, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know. I've thought about that, how he um, wanting our help with was unloading the, the pickup truck when he got a load of wood. And so we, you know, had a fire burning stove and a uh, fireplace. And so, you know, he and his friend Raymond would go to Floyd and, um, you know, cut down a, a big tree or whatever and, and split the firewood and load up his truck. And so, of course, you know, he did, he and Raymond did all the hard work of actually cutting down the tree and, <laughs> and uh, cutting it up into pieces that could stack on a porch. Um, but, you know, he would come home and then um, I would dread having to unload this, uh, <laughs> you know, pickup truck full of wood. Um, and looking back at it now, I was like, oh man, he just spent like the entire day cutting this up and, and, and uh, getting this ready. And, and I'm complaining about the last like 10% of it, you know, <laughs> but uh, he would help with that. That was that, I think that was the biggest like chore, but yeah, like, I think for the most part, we got off without doing um, probably as much as we should, you know, because I think his attitude is just like, hey, this is work that needs to be done. I'm just going to do it. And, 
yeah, probably sometimes he, he should have been like, you know what, boys, you need to do this, or let me tell you how to do this. But, you know, his, he just had an attitude of like, it's, it's just something that needs to get done. So I'm just going to do it now instead of wait for somebody else to do it or, you know, to get my boys to do it in a way that's probably not going to be done well. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he definitely had a bunch of skills, could do a, a bunch of things, you know. And so looking back, I feel like probably we should have gleaned more um, of, his, of his skills throughout the years uh, than we did. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's one thing that I reflect back on, just think what a renaissance man he was, you know, the ability to run a small business, the furniture store, as you mentioned, in Parisburg, Virginia, do that for nearly 30 years, manage people and vendors and sales, and I mean, the whole thing, right? Yeah. And then at the same time, be very hands-on with the tractor and the, you know, significant heavy equipment, you know, taking down trees, um, enjoying hunting and fishing, and all at the same time, drawing and very artistic and gardening and just, you know, all those types of things. Yeah. It's really fun to look back on and, and appreciate. And I remember the, the truckloads of wood and not only did he ask for help with it, but as you mentioned, he had a particular way where he was a little bit of a perfectionist and his attitude, as I reflect on his personality type was that attitude of, well, I'm just going to get things done the right way versus asking for help. And I think that's why yeah. we, we didn't have to do a lot of the, the chores that he did because he's like, I'm just going to do it the right way because yep. they're going to mess it up. But when it came to the wood, I think at that point he was tired enough to say, all right, boys, you need to help with this. <laughs> and uh, we should say too, in between John and I, there's a, a sister, Amy. And so uh, it was the three of us growing up. But yes, John and I had to, had to do the work of uh, unloading the truck and putting, it, putting the wood on. And if we didn't do it the right way, he'd tell us, wouldn't he? Yeah. Oh, definitely. He, he was definitely, you know, an, an open and honest guy. So um, when he had a problem with how you're doing some, something, he would let you know, which, um, you know, is a refreshing attitude as opposed to, you know, holding it in or, or whatever and, and uh, being coy with, with how you feel. Uh, um, yeah, he definitely, he definitely was open and honest with how he felt. <laughs> yeah. When you say that, it, it reminds me of a story of, yeah, uh, I left the windows open in my bedroom oh, yeah. one day. And it was started to rain. And so Pop comes home from work. Uh, you know, the position of my bedroom growing up, our bedroom growing up that we shared, as you know, you can see our windows as soon as you drive up. And so he sees the storm coming in, rain's pelting in, and my window's wide open. And we have this log cabin, and we also had these wood-framed windows. And so everyone knows wood and water don't go well together, let alone water oh, yeah. coming through to the inside frame. And so he's thinking, oh, gosh, you know, like the boys left this open, and, you know, they're downstairs and they just forgot it that's bad enough but he comes in uh and then just stomps upstairs and not only sees me in the room but sees me playing video games while the rain's like <laughs> coming in <laughs> it's probably literally hitting my body as i'm sitting there like playing madden 95 whatever it is and he just oh man as you mentioned he didn't he did not mince words oh <laughs> he yeah would just straight up say look what are you doing you lazy <laughs> <laughs> And, and uh, just say, you need to close this. this is why. And I just didn't realize it, it wasn't like I was intentionally doing it. It was just, yeah, I yeah. just felt like he had the skill of just common sense of, well, of course you <laughs> close the window. Obviously, right, right. <laughs> uh, it, it also reminds me of uh, a story of one night I came in with a friend and we were on the computer. We turned it on to do like AOL chat with some of our friends back home or back at school. And as soon as we turn on the computer, it, 
prompted the printer to like finish a job. <laughs> and, <laughs> and this is like probably 10 o'clock at night. And so the structure of our house was mom and pop's room was like a loft essentially to the living room. And it woke pop up and he said, turn that damn thing down. <laughs> And I was there with my friend and my friend, I've never seen him jump so far up and run so fast and he just ran up to the room and I kind of, you know, more um, gingerly like shut it down and just uh -huh. knew like, you know, just woke up <laughs> off and, and then went to the bedroom. And then what was really cool, that memory was the next morning, Pop came into our bedroom. So it's probably like you and my friend and me, like we're all just yeah, uh, yeah. in the room. And I remember he came, Pop came into that bedroom and he didn't know that I was awake, but I was. And he came in and he apologized to my friend. He said, hey, you know, sorry for being rough with you last night. and just got to start with me and woke me up. And I want to let you know I'm happy you're here. <laughs> 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 so oh, that was a great uh, quality. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, man, he definitely made an impact on our friends, huh? He was, he could definitely be an intimidating guy when you first met him you know, kind of a, kind of a rugged guy. Um, I think he always, you know, wanted to be a cowboy. Yeah. He, uh, I feel like all of our friends when they first met pop, um, uh, were a little bit afraid of him for a while. <laughs> uh, and then eventually, you know, they, they, um, got to see, you know, his softer side and, uh, they all, you know, I can't remember a single friend who didn't really love pop after, you know, they got to know him. But, uh, but first, man, he was, he definitely intimidated a lot of, a lot of uh, our friends that we brought around, huh? Yeah, you're right. Cause he didn't fit the mold. You know, we grew up in a Christian school, right? And so here we are going to this, this uh, small private Christian school in Blacksburg, Virginia. And kind of the mold of the dad was clean cut, didn't curse, yeah. uh, was uh, quiet and kind of, I don't know, just more mild mannered. And then here you have Pop, who's uh, you know, his background is a little bit more rugged. As he mentioned, he wanted to be a cowboy. And he was a cowboy for a season of his life and got into some of the wrong crowd and the wrong activities and had a bad, you know, the history of that yeah. and, and made an intentional decision to change his life. But he still had that, I don't know, that cowboy ruggedness uh, going on an adventure. And, and as you mentioned, just not mincing words and being very forthright and direct and did not enjoy people who try to deceive or lie or put on a front and he never oh, yeah. put on a front. That's definitely, yeah. Characteristic of his, of, of, uh, not liking, um, what would he always say? He'd say, uh, he doesn't like, uh, liars and thieves. Yeah. That was I'd a be, statement. He'd say that often. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's because he hung out with liars and thieves growing up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> you know, like it came from a real place. It wasn't just these empty words. It was his actual experience that, uh, you know, we didn't know much about um, before his passing, but, you know, we learned a little bit more about it. And just, yeah, just to realize like the things that he said and the reason that he, he was who he was came from experiences that we just didn't have ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like, it's interesting, you know, kind of understanding his story later in life and what he went through. Cause he wasn't open about that when we were growing up. And so, um, you know, he, he was, you know, he was just always our dad and that's how he was. Um, but getting to know his story later in life really opened my eyes like, Oh man, this is why he is who he is, you know? And, it just helped me understand him a lot more um, where he was coming from, his life experiences and how that sort of molded and shaped 
you know, the man he was, um, which, yeah, it was really cool. You know, it was cool to like, look back and say like, um, you know, this is, this is, this is my dad. And then sort of get the picture painted of like, oh, this is, this is his life experience, which, you know, I'm sure a lot of kids, um, sort of get that along the way, you know, of like, um, you know, their parents, uh, being a little bit more open and honest about their history or their experiences, um, you know, as they see uh, fit. But, you know, with Pop's unusual uh, uh, history, I think he, you know, wanted to, to guard us from that for a long time. And so uh, it was really fun to see um, his past experiences or, or get to um, hear about that later on in life, you know? Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. You want to? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so here's here's where that part of the story really starts for me and i'm interested for you as well i get a call from pop and i think it's just gonna be a normal conversation with him and he says well i'm ready to expose my story and i sit down i'm like all right like what is going on because you know as we as we reflected on Pop's personality he didn't overshare he was just very direct and short and sweet pretty much and so i get that conversation i think like all right well what am i going to hear and then he tells me, well, let's get, let's get John together and we'll do a, a guy's weekend. And so I said, okay. And then, you know, pop, he's always, let's not put on any responsibility on anyone else. Like I'll, you know, just, or any pressure on anyone else, yeah. uh, just do it whenever you want to and get back to me. And then as soon as I hung up the phone, pop, I called you. And then do you remember that conversation? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you basically told me, you know, what he told you and I was just, you know, I was pretty confused. Cause I was like, I have no idea what this is going to be about. Um, but at the same time, knowing pop, it, it was, it didn't surprise me that he had something he wanted to share with us. Right. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, it was, it was, I was confused, but also excited to, to figure out, you know, uh, what he wanted to share with us. Um, but yeah, you called me. And so I think, I think we, we moved pretty quickly to, uh, you know, set up a meeting. I think, you know, I spoke with Sophie and I was like, Hey, I need to, you know, take some time and, uh, go to Floyd and, um, you know, meet up with Justin and pop and talk about all this. And she of course was on board. Um, but, uh, yeah, I remember being hard to wait, um, for our weekend to get together. Yeah. And I'm so glad that we did, didn't waste any time. And so, we mentioned Floyd a couple of times. That's the property that our family owns that's close by where we grew up in. And that was a place that was really special to Pop that he enjoyed going over to. And in his retirement years, built a house and spent more time there than he did with mom in the, yeah. in the house in town. And he just loved being up there, right? And so, uh, yeah, so we set up that meeting with Pop and I was also excited. And so the fun part was we brought our wives and kids uh into town and they stayed back with mom uh while we went up to the cabin up in floyd which is probably just a good way of describing it yeah um and then i remember being excited and he put it really well excited and confused is the uh, an apt description and i remember we got in the car together and we went by kroger and just got this hodgepodge of like random stuff of like some some drinks and some food it was, a com it was kind of pre-health coaching days of uh, <laughs> Coors beer and Doritos and sushi and yep. maybe some other random things because we're like, all right, let's just be prepared for whatever happens here. <laughs> uh, and then I remember the car ride up from the grocery store. I just specifically remember asking you, like, what do you think we're going to hear? Yeah. Uh, do you remember my response? Because 
Uh, I don't, but um, I'm sure it was something I, to the effect of like, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just, yeah, you just paused and said exactly that. Like, I have no idea. You never know with <laughs> pop, you know? <laughs> and clearly we didn't. <laughs> and it's so great because here we are, you know, young fathers, young men in our 30s, and we're just trying to, and here we are, like, uh, going up to see Pop and, and him extending an invitation that we know is meaningful and real and out of the ordinary for him. Yeah. Uh, so we get there and I just remember being super excited and sitting oh, down. And I remember because we, we spoke with mom beforehand um, and mom, of course, like knew his story. And um, that was like another aspect of it, it being sort of um, fun and enticing of, of speaking to mom be like, yeah, I don't know what this is about. Mom being like, well, uh, you know, clearly she knew, you know, that like what was going on, but didn't, you know, want to tell us or, or allude to anything. And so um, she's just like, yeah, you just got to go up there and see, you know, what he wants to talk about. I don't know, um, you know, exactly what he'll tell you, but, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I don't know, like, that's another aspect of like, how did she keep this from us for so long, you know? It just goes to show like how awesome mom is. And, yeah, yeah. And how, she she and pop had a a great marriage and a very unique and different marriage yeah uh from the outside looking in people would say like oh this is kind of weird or this is odd or whatever it might be but they loved each other dearly and to be able to have that commitment of holding on to a story until you know pop was ready to share it with us like yeah mom never mentioned anything to us yeah oh yeah she was um definitely the perfect woman for pop and was able to um handle all of his quirks um very gracefully <laughs> yeah you're right like and that's the fun part I've, I've spoke with mom about is that it's fun to remember pop and the legacy left because it's real and genuine like we're not yeah. sugarcoating anything and yeah. uh he definitely had his faults and anger moments and lack of communication and yeah. uh and and at the same time, though, he, he was just a real man and he'd apologize for his mistakes or he would always be there when he needed him to. He could be relied upon. I mean, I remember just to take a quick pause of the story. I remember growing up, I, I went hiking with some friends. And we got lost in the woods and we were with two fathers. But this is back in middle school. And one of the fathers who kind of knew the trail left because his back was hurting. And so he continued on while we took a rest. And so me and a couple other friends in middle school were with uh, one of the friends' father the one remaining and we start to go on the trail again and somehow we get misdirected and we are lost and the dad says look i think we should just stay here until someone finds us and so we huddle up in a shelter and then uh there was a search and rescue party that came yeah. and found us they they take us from the woods and they actually found us because of uh i was wearing some boots that were rain boots and they weren't hiking boots and they said oh this must be the kids <laughs> <laughs> I remember that little detail. And anyway, we get back and then I see Pop and he has saddled up his horse to like be part of the search and rescue party. Yeah. And I just thought, what, what dad does that? Like in the middle of the night, it, right. it is literally the middle of the night. Like it's 2 a.m. Uh, they eventually find us. And then here's Pop. Like he's, he's taken the time and effort to go from our house, which is probably an hour away from our location, gets a horse in the trailer and drives the trailer with the truck down to this remote trail, saddles up. And, you know, I don't know how much of the search and rescue party he was part of, but he was there. And like, I just remember that story. And that's a great defining moment of Bob. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So back to the story. Back to the story. What, what are you thinking when we, when we get up to Floyd? Uh, I was at that point, I was just super excited. I was excited for the opportunity to hear a story. 
And I remember just walking in and I had to coach myself down to say, look, don't take pictures, don't record, right? don't poke the bear. Yeah. Because there's a part yeah. of me that wanted to. Yeah. And there was an aspect of like, um, uh, yeah, like, uh, you know, we wanted, we didn't want to push pop, um, you know, like just start right off the bat, ask a bunch of questions or whatever. It was very much like a, we, you know, he wanted to share his story. So we're just going to be there, be present and let him tell a story, how he wants to tell, tell a story. And, you know, like you said, like, I didn't want to have my phone out. Uh, I just wanted to be present in the moment. You know, part of me was like, I need to write down notes as we're going. But part of me was like, no, nah, I just want, I just want this to be a genuine experience. No, you know, no cell phone, no notes, no, no, just, just be there and let pop, you know, tell, tell a story. <laughs> I think that reflects his character where he really appreciated it when you were fully there. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, he, he did not like seeing you on the phone or being distracted and, and he didn't like being pressured. That was another thing about Pop's personality. Like you could not tell him what to do. He needed to figure out what to do yeah. and then he'd be all into it, but you couldn't give him restrictions. And that was one thing I told my wife, Amy, I said, look, I'm going up to Floyd. I'm not giving you any ETA. Yeah. I don't want to have that on pop. I don't want to have that on myself because he'll feel it. He'll know it. I just need to be fully available for this moment. Yeah. So I feel like, so, um, I'm sure, I'm sure when we walked in, uh, he was at the, the kitchen bar table that he had with, um, you know, uh, peanuts out and some chocolates. Cause that's usually what was on the, on the, on the table for his uh, snacks throughout the day. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's an interesting one. I, I just remember offering him, a, offering him a beer and then just sitting down at that yeah. um, kitchen counter and just like you be in the mindset of, all right, let's see what happens. And do you remember um, how we started? Uh, I don't think so. I think, um, now nah, I, I'm not sure if it was right off the bat, but I think he went to get some documents, didn't he? That might have been yeah. a little later, but yeah, and 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 then it just happened, right? It was just natural conversation where it wasn't, you know. I've actually been part of, I've been fortunate enough to be part of a men's group that has a structured story weekend, and we yeah. even do that now at the fellowship. And the cool part about this is that it was totally not structured, and it was really all day it felt like right like we spent like the next four hours talking with him yeah yeah it was long um time. and and eventually getting dinner together um so i remember him starting off and just sit, settling down um and and the thing that i specifically remember was him mentioning that he was reflecting on the fact that he knows all the stories that he's going to know about his family where his yeah. father and grandfather yeah. have passed away and that hit me because then I knew it was going to be a meaningful moment because he was being intentional with us with the specific goal of saying, I want my boys to hear my story from me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, recently somebody, I think this is because he was, he was thoughtful about this because somebody had recently passed um, away. I think, I'm not sure who it was. Do you remember? Was it um, his yeah, aunt? Yeah, it was or... his, his dad's sister. Yeah. And uh yeah, I think he was curious about um, some of her stories and her, you know, just kind of his dad's stories and having to find out sort of from other people and not firsthand. You know, you could tell um, he'd been thinking about that and how he, you know, wish he would have been able to hear it directly from his dad or, um, you know, his uncles or whatever, right? Um, 
so yeah i think i think for him it was like you know i want to make this um an experience for the boys like tell them my story and not have to question uh you know mom or or you know his uh brother and sister for the details you know so i think that was um yeah i mean a great thing for him to do uh and to to so that way we get his perspective you know and can ask him questions yeah that's a good point i forgot about was the fact that yeah his aunt had just passed away um and she was in her 90s or maybe even 100 i don't know yeah pretty old and and that sparked this this inspiration for him so i remember that him or her him referring to the fact of yeah i want i can't hear any more stories and yeah here's my story essentially so so then he from what i recall from there i didn't know if he was going to go into like childhood or what but it was just immediately kind of throwing us into his high school college days yeah and he just was direct to the point wasn't he yeah yeah just kind of immediately went into how um yeah he got sort of <laughs> caught up in the um uh you know the wrong crowd i guess or or just caught up in um in drugs pretty you know early on um and then just you know went right into it so yeah there was no there was no real leading up to it it was sort of just like um you know him him uh getting into drugs and then uh moving to selling them <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we didn't really capture all the details of like how that trans- transition happened, but basically a, uh, a, a Bud Loving party guy, and they had this house in Radford that was uh, well known in the area and is still known to this day. If you talk with the, yeah. the older crowd and uh, mention Pop's name, you might get different types of looks because they might remember the party version of Pop <laughs> <laughs> and you know what they would do and, and have. And then eventually, yeah, you're right. Like it was this he, I remember how he described it to us was, he said, I just realized that I can make more money this way. And yeah. as a quick recap of his story, he goes through high school in Radford and then his dad, our grandfather owned a furniture business that was respected and well-run in the area. And I think, you know, Pop had taken maybe some community classes uh, towards an associates, but it was obvious like that wasn't really his passion. And he started working full-time at the furniture store and he realized oh gosh, I can make a lot more money selling pot uh, yeah. to my friends and do these parties than I can in the store. And it was more of a, it seemed like to, it's for him, it was more of a financial freedom aspect of it. Right. Well, and that's, that was kind of a, a, a big way of starting the story, wasn't it? <laughs> Cause we didn't yeah. know any of this. Yeah, we didn't know any of this. And, and, um, uh, this, this was, um, that, you know, at that moment, uh, there was, um, yeah, sort of like a, a a realization of like, oh man, this is uh, there's a lot to, you know, his history and his life that I don't know. <laughs> so I knew that we were going to be in for a, a big story, but uh, it gets even crazier from there, you know. <laughs> it does, yeah, because it's not like this, this like, oh, you know, guys, I'm just confessing to you, I use drugs, and I just want to like let you know that I'm not perfect. Yeah, he, he's just getting warmed up. So then we find out that this is a becomes a significant operation in southwest virginia up to west virginia and and we just get pulled along with a story where eventually we find out that pop is a pretty major drug trafficker (laughs) across state lines uh during the season of life and i don't know if it's a matter of months years you know but he here he is in his in his early 20s trying to figure life out and making more money dealing drugs and um and doing pretty well at it apparently, and and it was 
it was essentially an operation where drugs were coming in from Mexico to Arizona and then from Arizona to West Virginia, Virginia. And he was um, kind of a, a broker of these deals and substantial deals. Like yeah. in the story that I remember was one time there was a tractor trailer load of pot. Yeah. Got, yeah. Just went, just went missing. And I don't know if he said it was like a five figure, six figure deal, but uh, that's the kind of level we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, clearly, and across state lines. Um, so, uh, you know, at some point it got so big to where uh, the FBI was involved. Um, and that was, you know, pretty crazy. I, get, I think he, he started off talking about how he would, he would drive to um, Arizona and load his, uh, his trunk full of pot and then drive it back and, um, you know, and sell it. And he, you know, was one of the, um, the bigger dealers in his area. Um, and then, yeah, I think cause, cause going across lines, um, and because of the size, you know, that he was doing, he, um, you know, got the attention of the, uh, FBI. <laughs> oh, and so like, and we're just sitting there listening to the story, probably mouse open and just say, what is going on here? Yeah. I mean, where's this going? And I mean, isn't that how you felt? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, it was just, it like, um, it didn't surprise me that he uh, had done drugs. <laughs> uh, it did surprise me when he said that he was dealing drugs. Um, but, you know, it just kept going. It was just like it kept getting more and more intense. <laughs> and his involvement got uh, bigger and bigger. And his experiences got more, um, you know, crazy to hear uh, that, yeah, it was, it was definitely um, uh, a wild ride to just, you know, sit and listen. <laughs> yeah. And so what we learned from that wild ride was he eventually, his partner uh, turns him in, I think, is what I heard. Mm -hmm. A partner, a friend, um, <laughs> I guess, you know, that, that arena friend is a loose term. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, turns him in and he gets wind that there's an arrest warrant. And I remember that's where he went to try to get some documents. He's like, I've got the arrest warrant. Yeah, like a yeah, copy right. of it. And he went to his desk and there was, that was the only moment that I snuck up my camera and took a picture of like him <laughs> looking at his desk. And that's the other crazy part is like his desk is not locked up or anything. He's right. just keeping these documents there at the house and very meaningful. And uh, in the one way he was like really private and, and uh, kind of secretive in another way, he was like totally open and just like, right. you know, you, because you would just never mess with the stuff. So yeah, he didn't yeah. meet it. Right? <laughs> um, so yeah, so then we find out that he gets turned in and then he finds out that there's an arrest warrant. And then he even said like, it, like what he believed it was, was like five years, right? It was an arrest warrant and he was, he was uh, looking at serving like five yeah. plus years. Yep. I think that was it. And at that point in history, like that's when they're starting to crack down a little bit more into drug dealers and, you know, sniffing this out. And so I think at that point, trying to make an example of him to say, look, we'd we're not going to allow this. Uh, and as you mentioned, the, the feds were involved because it was across state lines. And so, yeah, I remember Pop saying, he said, well, I didn't want, I don't want to do jail time. So I just packed up and left. <laughs> yeah. I know what a crazy reality to find yourself in, um, which is, you know, totally his fault to be in this reality, but um, of either, you know, turning yourself in, getting five years or, um, you know, what he chose, which was to go on the run. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, this is kind of like in the mid seventies, just to set the stage for everyone. 
and he decides to go on the run. And what was really fun was um, I interviewed some of his friends just to see like, you know, a little bit more. And to this day, kind of like we reflect with the mom, how they just would hold the story tight because it was so personal and they were never going to expose pop. And they just knew the significance of it. And so even, even to this day, like I spoke with one of his old friends and he said, well, um, you know, I, I must didn't take this call because I was just going to tell you to talk to your mom because I wasn't going to be the one to tell you any of the details. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just said, like, no, Pop told, you know, Pop told us. Uh, so just to kind of, you know, share how significant the story was, people held it closely. But yeah, part of part of him going on the run initially at first was he just went in the woods in Virginia and camped out, like literally went off the grid. Yeah. For a little Which was bit. his personality. You know, he loved he loved uh, the lodge in the in, in Floyd. <laughs> That's right. And and then I remember um part of his story on the run too was to try to like uh pick up or he asked some friends to pick up a motorcycle that he had stored out in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um and so some it's, uh, some other friends told me the story of they like did an all nighter. They drove from Virginia to Arizona, the two of them with the trailer picked up the Harley Davidson motorcycle of Pops and drove it back and just like held on to it while Pop was on the run just to make sure that it didn't get confiscated by the feds. <laughs> and like, so that's the type of friends Pop had, right? Like holding these close relationships together, doing whatever, totally loyal, uh, you know, and, and he had those friends for life, which yeah. is just really, yeah. really cool to see some authentic friends. And, and then from there, gosh, I, you know, there's, there's, there's more to it. What I, what I remember, I'd be interested in your thoughts is I remember Pop then, spending time um, in North Carolina, spending time in Tennessee, um, and, and, and uh, eventually getting connected to a friend of a friend uh, and, and spending some time in Tennessee. And, and uh, he spent several years on the run. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I remember. So, I mean, I think, like you said, next, spending time sort of um, Tennessee, uh, the Carolinas, and um, maybe Kentucky. I'm not sure. But, yeah, Tennessee, mm-hmm. I think, was a, um, a moment where he sort of camped out a little bit. Um, but it was interesting to, you know, hear him talk about it because, um, you know, he, he was, uh, very, um, cautious about, um, who he told, where he was going. Um, I think, I think pretty much every time that he moved, um, you know, places, he would use a different name, um, when he met people. Um, and, and yeah, he's, I mean, one of the things that he said is like, he, whenever he would feel the pressure that he thought, you know, police were catching up to him, um, you know, he would he'd tell those he was with, he was going one place um, and totally go the opposite or go, you know, somewhere else. Um, and it was just, you know, crazy that he, he went from, like you're saying, he has these, he has these loyal friends, but he made the choice to, um, to be, you know, to not fill them in on, on where he was going, um, what he was doing and anybody knew he met, you know, he couldn't really get close to cause he would have to move and, and he wouldn't tell them, you know, where he was going. So it seemed like, you know, this choice of like, I'm, I'm going on the run. Um, but I also have to be sort of like totally by myself alone. Um, otherwise, you know, the police would catch him. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, and they were going after him. Like there was that story of, he shared with us, one of his friends from high school that he was close with had moved and taken a job up to Canada. Yeah. And the feds actually went to Canada and thought that Pop was up there, that he'd crossed the border. And they interviewed Pop's friend to say, like, we know you know where he's at. 
And so this was legit. Like this was real where they, there is active pursuit on pop yeah. space. Yeah. And yeah, I think the story that I remember, and maybe you can fill in the gaps here um, in Tennessee, I want to say uh, before he went out West um, was, you know, he was hanging around um, with some people over there uh, in Tennessee and he, uh, you know, had a, a girl who was interested in a girlfriend and um, was, you know, talking with her on the phone and could audibly hear sort of a click on the phone line. Um, and I don't remember what he said to her, but something like, well, I think I got to go or something like, I think they're listening to this call. Like clearly he thought his, the phone call was um, being taped and you know, that moment, just like kind of his new reality of like, this is, I'm just on the run. You know, as soon as he heard that, he hung up the phone, packed up his stuff um, and left. And, and then he said, he found out later that like, um, you know, hours later, uh, the cops had shown up to where he was and, and to um, his girlfriend's place to ask where he was. And, um, you know, he didn't tell her where he was going. So, you know, this is another like moment where it's like, this is, he's totally on his own. He can't share his details with anybody because otherwise, you know, the cops will find out and be able to, to, um, to, you know, catch up to him. Um, but I think he mentioned that being like one of the closest he was to getting caught. Mm. Yes. I remember that story. Yeah. I know. It's so funny because it's just so bizarre hearing this. It seems like a movie. And then you have to check yourself and say, this is about pop, like the band yeah. that I grew up with. And you're hearing these stories and you're just like, this is crazy. And you're right. That was one of those stories you think, wow, this is real. <laughs> and, and, and it just explains his character even more. Like we talked about earlier, where we gain an appreciation of, oh, that's how he could seem like he's not getting close or he's always you know, looking around. And mom even said, like, he would always want to see the, the front door and the entrance, like, yeah. That shaped this period of his life shaped him so tremendously where he is removed and detached from people and relationships. He cut off himself from his loyal relationships, his deep relationships. His family doesn't know where he's at. And this is, I mean, this is a big deal. And just to think about this is real. This isn't fictitious. This is real life. And Pop is now a man on the run. And I remember that story he's mentioned. And then I also remember the one in Arizona with a helicopter. Yeah. So that was crazy. So that was, so he eventually, or at one point he's in Arizona, probably trying to get some maybe loose ends or like, you know, since that was a, a location that he would frequent to get the drugs, he had some things there that he wanted to get before maybe going on the run where the cops found. Yeah. And I remember him telling the story of he's like in an apartment and there's a, uh there's a spotlight like coming from a helicopter down and he could hear it and people are are going outside to see like what's going on and he obviously doesn't do that he stays inside and he sees maybe cops pull up and and arrest someone else and from what i remember that part of the story he said that the next day in the paper he saw that his name was actually like listed in there yeah, yeah and not only that he mentioned that the cops like roughed up this person that i guess they thought was him um, from that night. Um, but it turns out that it wasn't, <laughs> but yeah. clearly they knew, you know, who he was and knew, um, that he was there. Um, but yeah, I mean, this kind of like just shows you the magnitude of the situation he was in, you know, where, um, the FBI was, 
um, you know, trying to find him with uh, helicopters in the middle of the night. And um, uh, yeah, it was just, I mean, that's just a crazy story. Also how, you know, close he was, I guess he was, if I recall, I think he was, um, he was like a house down from this guy that was arrested and uh, kind of roughed up by the cops. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a crazy aspect where, um, you know, he was, he was in Arizona and then <laughs> had to see that and, and then see his name in the paper the next day. So I think he gets pretty serious about like going off the grid at this point. And, and with the friend that he was in Tennessee, there was, there was that moment, you know, with Arizona, there was the moment of being, uh, the, the phone being tapped. And then another moment that I remember him really transitioning to, oh, I can't stay here anymore was he was in that house in Tennessee. There was a party at that house. And this is kind of his new group of friends on the run. And he sees someone from his old life, like that, that knows who he is for real. Uh, and as you mentioned, Pop would go by alias name. So no one knew his real name. And he saw someone that did know his real name at this party. And he went to his host and said, look, you know, I know that guy. He knows me. I need to go. And, and that was a, that's another cool part about the story. I got to talk with that friend who hosted him uh, in Tennessee. And that friend described that moment when he first met Pop as, uh, one of his friends came up with a stranger and he opened the door and he looks at the stranger. He's like this bearded guy and he's like, who's this? But then his heart softens towards Pop when he sees that Pop has the same type of dog as he does, a Doberman <laughs> Pinscher. <laughs> and so Pop's life might, might have been very different if he did not have that dog. And so the two of them bonded and connected and Pop stayed at this guy's house, you know, for a substantial amount of time. Um, but eventually says like, oh, my, my worlds are colliding here. I'm too close. You know, Tennessee's too close to my old world. And the two of them go on this adventure to Mexico. And then Pop tells us a little bit about that. Yeah, which was another, um, he, you know, that was a moment where I was like, okay, this is, um, this kind of aligns with, uh, you know, the stories that I've heard. Because he did share that he went to Mexico um, when we were younger and had some stories from Mexico that he shared. But um, definitely we didn't have the full context of, of why he <laughs> ended up there. <laughs> Oh, isn't that funny? Yeah, you're right. Like, that's a good a point to bring up. It's like, yeah, we kind of knew Pop Story sprinkled in here and there, but without the context. And now here yeah. we are sitting down knowing, oh, you went to Mexico, not for fun or pleasure, but you went there to see if you could live there. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, um, you know, he told us like all the places he went in Mexico and then in classic Pop fashion, uh, pulled out a map because he loved his maps and you know would show us basically you know on this map with his finger all the places he went and um yeah he traveled around mexico for a while <laughs> yes and with the dog and his course, buddy yeah. and they went down to mexico and the two of them they had so many adventures in mexico they actually talked about writing a book about it and they they even mom said they even did some audio recordings like on a tape cassette trying to share stories back and forth about that trip to Mexico. Oh, like, man. that's Can you how imagine big it getting was. that getting that tape and listening to it? Oh, uh, at least we have this now, like for right. our kids. And yeah. I just think that's what, you know, it's so special to carry the story on because it's got, you know, such a good redemption quality to it, but you don't appreciate the redemption quality until you know the hardship that Pop went through and the challenges, self-imposed challenges. And in fact, when I um, the first draft of my book I didn't mention anything of Pop's story. Mom like said, look, you need to share Pop's story because yeah. like, you just don't have an appreciation for what made him a good provider unless you know the path that he went on. Right. So the path that he's gone on now is in Mexico and there's so many stories there. Uh, I just remember him sharing uh, you know, stories of the cartel and how he thought like 
I honestly would not be alive unless we had that, those dogs um, in the car because they scared the cartel off. Or yeah. The, you know, the, the police yeah, he mentioned Mexico. several times their car not being uh, searched because he had Doberman Pinchers in the back and the, uh, the cartel just be like, all right, move along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and then I remember this like classic pop story that he just kind of like, casually shared, but you think, wait a second, this sounds insane where they go into a bar to grab a drink and then, somehow they get into a situation around a table like do you remember that that story uh yeah and i think um i'm not sure exactly where this is but this was wasn't this um um some drug uh event either he was buying or selling drugs or something that's right yes this is before mexico it just sounds like a mexican story but yes you're right this is part of his drug dealing days and yeah, if I, I mean, how I remember it is he, yeah, he talked about how, um, you know, he was, was going to meet these guys and they were going to do a drug deal. And, um, you know, beforehand they said, you know, no guns. Um, and so they all agreed, no guns. Uh, so they show up, you know, and, and they're all at this, um, this table, at this bar or whatever. Uh, and he's on one side and, and the other people are on the other side. And, um, you know, the deal was no, no guns. Um, but I, I don't know if it was him or somebody else that said, all right, guys, um, let's for real, let's put, let's put all the guns that we have on the table. Like they're supposed to have, not supposed to have any, uh, but at some point somebody's just like, all right, let's just, let's put them all on the table. And every single person had a gun just hidden away in like, you know, waistband or in a boot or something like that. And he said, just, <laughs> you know, this is a table full of guns uh, <laughs> at this drug deal. I remember Pop just being so scared about that story, but like specifically, telling that story just to say like this is the kind of world i was in essentially yeah and, and you know so yeah so there's that crazy story even before going to mexico and then once he's in mexico they have some 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 close calls with people and i remember there was one story of they were at the beach and they um had yeah he and his friend were at the beach with the dogs and then some some people kind of circled around them to to take some of their stuff and and his friend had to like kind of play dumb and like stupid and funny and just dance around and show that they didn't have anything and yeah uh like put sand in their boots and say like look there's nothing here and and just like crazy stories of close calls that they're able to survive in mexico with like a little bit of spanish yeah a couple dogs a good attitude and it sounded like enjoying tequila all all along the way (laughs) and and a story that he mentioned a lot growing up um about his mexico days was he he told me that everywhere he went he would order um chicken and rice and everywhere he went, he got something different. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He always loved Mexican food growing up. We just thought like, oh, this is just normal. But yep. now we knew why. <laughs> and he'd, he'd have like a little Spanish and he'd always like connect with the, the waiter at the local Mexican restaurant. It just seemed like that brought back those adventure days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. The two other stories that I remember um, from the Mexico days was the, the story, the um, the night where it flooded. Um, oh yes. Do you remember? Do you remember that story? Yes. Tell that one. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Fill fill in any details that I missed, but um, I don't remember exactly. Uh, you know wh- why they were going somewhere, but um, you know they were going to some campsite or whatever. Uh, and so, you know, they get there and they're driving up in their car, and they see all these cars parked, kind of like on the side of the, um, the hill there. And so, um, you know, they drive up and like, there's all this like open space. 
sort of at the bottom of this valley. And so they're just thinking like, I mean, why don't we just park here and we'll camp here, you know, you can like see the, see the stars in the sky or whatever. It's just like totally open, you know? And so um, (laughs) they go and they, um, they park. And I, I think there's some like um, drugs involved here. Uh, I think there's some, some mushrooms that they're um, getting access to or, (laughs) or looking for or something. Uh, But they go and they park, um, you know, and they're sitting uh, in this car and then uh, I don't know if, I don't know if it, they were just like staying in the car if they, they pitched a tent. Uh, do you remember one way or the other? They had a tent. Yeah. Yeah. So they had a tent. They pitched a tent on the, on the bottom of this valley. Um, and, and, you know, they go to bed that night and then they wake up in the middle of the night and realize why everybody's up on the side of this hill camping and not on this valley is because the valley flooded. And so um, their tent was filled with water. They had just like everything floating, you know, so so they had to like quickly get up um, and get out, like, you know, pack up their stuff and get in their car, uh, you know, soaking wet and everything. Um, and then I guess, I don't remember, do you remember the, the part with the, with the dog and the butter? <laughs> yeah, so I remember the thing too, like you said, there's some mushrooms involved because he just casually said like, oh, yeah, my buddy like had a bad mushroom and he's sick for days. And so we just camp out and try to like rest and recover in this valley. And one night they wake up and he says, he literally wakes up to butter floating next to him. Like yeah. it's that much water. The butter is floating next to him in this valley. And they said, well, we got to get out of here. So they just throw everything in the back of the truck, like you said, the car. And then, uh, you know, and they're trying to recover from the sickness of this bad mushroom. And I love the fact that like, we're not pressing them on the details. Like, do you mean psychedelic mushrooms? <laughs> 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 like, you know, at this point, you're just like, all bets are off. You're just assuming this is the craziness of the story. And I, yeah, I remember he said he gets, he gets in the car um, and then he's, he's about to like drive out, drive away. And uh, as he's packing everything up, I think he actually sees the dog eat the butter as it's floating. They pack <laughs> everything up and then he starts to drive back and they're like, oh, that was crazy. I can't believe we're finally out there. Like what a mess. Everything's wet. Hopefully uh, we'll find a dry place. And then in that moment, the dog comes in between the two front seats and pukes up the entire butter (laughs) (laughs) the entire stick of butter it's just like right there in the console (laughs) yeah so that was a a a fun mexico story the other one one? the other one is um when they tried to uh ferry the car across the river yeah it was crazy yeah do you want to tell that one so that one, I remember they get to this, they're like, they're like, okay, let's get out of this valley. Let's, let's explore more of Mexico. And then they get to this river and they're, they're, they realize they can't go around it. Like they got to go through it. And so they figure out that there's this little rickety ferry that takes you from point A to point B. And Pop, you know, it's like not all about this idea, but eventually um, he agrees to do it. And he, he does that under one condition where he says, okay, I'll, I'll drive the car on this Raph, if you come with us. And so he gets like the guy on that side to agree to come with us, with them and he feels okay about the idea. And so he and his buddy and this Mexican guy are now on this rickety raft. And he says like the car that they have extends out much further than the traditional Mexican vehicle. Like yep. this is American, you know, big car. And so they, they're like front to back on this. Yeah, he said <clears> that the, tire, the tires were like half on both sides you know he had to he had to drive up on the on the raft where like you know he was he was part of the tires in the front and the back were overhanging this raft so this is a this is a hard 
situation, right? Like he doesn't speak English, speak Spanish. This guy doesn't speak English very well. And you're on this raft and you're like, are we going to survive like, <laughs> like over this river? <laughs> uh, and it's a legit river, right? And so they yeah. got, you know, enough where you get this heavy vehicle on this raft um, trying to go over and trying to make it to the other side. And so this is a stressful situation. And then, so they're probably like waiting with bated breath, like, are we going to make it? Can this thing hold us? And they finally get to the end, but that's not over yet where they, because the car is extending, like you described, they can't actually get the raft up <laughs> to where it normally goes to like undock the vehicle. Yeah. And so the only thing left to do is Bob has to get in the, the driver's seat and back up the car as much as he can where the tire does not go into the water, but is extended over there and just gun it up the raft and onto the bank and they make it. Yeah. <laughs> so some, some crazy Mexico stories. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Do you have any? Do you have any more um, memories from the Mexico trip? I I remember him showing us where he went, and um, you know whatever he wherever he was looking for, or whatever he was looking for down there, or like trying to find a place to to really settle down. I don't think they um, they ever did, right? I mean, um, yeah, it, I I don't know what what specifically they were looking for, but I think his idea was um, to go to Mexico and stay down there, right? Mm-hmm. But it was. Didn't work yeah. out. So Didn't he decided <laughs> not, no, Mexico is not worth the risk. I'm not going to get uh, put in jail here, but I might die here. So yeah. let's, let's risk jail. And so they decide Mexico is not for him. And they just treat it as a great adventure. Many more stories that's on that audio tape, I'm sure. And at that point, he starts his his uh, his cowboy adventure. Like, I think from there, he, he kind of moves from the, the Tennessee area out. Um, and, there, and there was this crazy story, too, of before going out west i remember him sharing how he and his buddy would like walk that he was staying with at the time would walk around a gravesite and a graveyard and just like look, look at names and yeah. and even like discover a name and use that name maybe as a fake identity mm-hmm. um to the point where pop actually was able to get a social security number mailed to him in a p.o box in north carolina because they had less stringent rules about documentation required to yeah. like request another one. And his friend was one, I think he told me this story of like, they found a name of someone like at a gravesite in Tennessee and somehow was able to get a social security card like on that individual mail to them. And so Pop was able to like, not only just like make up aliases, but like truly live this yeah alias lifestyle yeah because um you know like i remember him talking about how whenever he would move somewhere uh you know he couldn't like buy a car couldn't rent a place without some identification right so getting that social security number and assuming that identity was um a big uh helped him sort of on the run yeah and i remember too that he told us the story of he had a driver's license too remember that yeah yeah and from what I recall about that was it was like from a girl that he was seeing that stole her boyfriend's card, like uh-huh. driver's license card and gave it to pop. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, but he was a police officer or an FBI per- agent or something like that. Like it was somebody uh, that was, you know, in law enforcement. <laughs> yeah. Which, which like those two minor details is just striking to like kind of set the scene of the, the era, you know, we're talking about the, that now the mid to late seventies, like the stuff you could do back then without being totally connected or digital. And yeah. then also how pop like 
just has these women like during the run that kind uh-huh. of pop up like you know whether it's the conversation <laughs> left on with or like the, the id and then uh yeah and then eventually he he decides i want to go out west and experience life out west which you mentioned you know there's always a little part of him that wanted to be a cowboy and so he he became one he he uh, worked at a ranch um and you know once again he he uh, brought out the map and you know showed us some of the areas that that he went to and one of the areas that he went to was in um was in California. I forget the name of the little town um, that he mentioned. Uh, Mom knows, but uh, he was he was just a farmhand on that farm for a while. Yeah, yeah. And I remember um, we yeah we looked on a map, and it was actually pretty close to um, you know where Sophie and I lived for a while. Uh, <laughs> That's crazy. In the Bay Area, north north of that, and um, yeah, I remember him finding like uh, you know specific part of the map of like you know where he stayed and uh do you remember the the story of the um horse in the bar (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's at a bar he's sitting down enjoying a drink and then all of a sudden he says this guy comes in with his horse like the horse yeah just riding his horse yeah (laughs) (laughs) this man rides his horse into this bar and then pop Pop describes the story like this is crazy enough and then the horse just takes this massive dump on the the floor <laughs> and that's that's the kind of place that pop was hanging out in yeah <laughs> and oh and, and so then you know the, the adventure continues or pops at this uh at this ranch and um you know the sad part about the story too that we don't go into too much of the details and i don't think pop did as much was this is the time uh that his mom's dying of cancer. Yeah. And, and I don't think he knows all the details about what's, what's going on, but I know it was really hard, like, especially talking with um, his sister later, like this was a really stressful time for the family and for his mom, not to know where her son is on the run. Yeah. And everyone knows, like everyone knows like pop has an arrest warrant and he's on the run. And, um, and, you know, pop, I think there was a meeting at least once with granddad where he got to meet his dad um, while he was still in Tennessee and just kind of, you know, his dad checking in on him. Um, I don't know if he's giving him any money or not to help yeah, subsidize yeah. it, but, uh, you know, I remember pop down this in, in California when he was working on that ranch, that that was the, the period where he had that angelic encounter. Um, yeah. Which I had heard that story before, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah. once again, without the context like to know that here pop is like literally running away from his problems and really disowning his family. And like, you know, here is like his family's worked hard to build this like strong reputation in the town, a, an honorable businessman. And, you know, yeah. he's got siblings that are doing well. And pop is this crazy prodigal child. who's just gotten into drugs in the wrong crowd and, and doing these things that aren't bringing honor to his mother and father. And it's so sad. And his mom has cancer and, um, and, and at that time, Pop tells this, like, really compelling story. Um, had you heard of it before? Yeah, he had mentioned it. Um, a, a less detail, but, um, but he had mentioned it growing up. Yeah. And so, like, the, the, the basis of the story is that Pop's his farmhand, and he sees someone on the property, and he don't trespass on a farm. And so yeah. he goes over there to <laughs> confront him, you know, just head on. And Pop goes over there in his gruff voice. I don't know if he's riding a horse or whatever he's doing. You know, just imagine the scene. And he tells this person, like, you need, you're trespassing. Get off the land. And the person is picking mushrooms. And on the side of the hill, 
and the guy just casually looks up at Pop and says, I'm just picking mushrooms here. My wife and I like always you know, pick up mushrooms here. And 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 Pop's uh, kind of throwing back like it's weird. <laughs> like uh and then he they they strike up a conversation. The guy tells Pop, like, oh, do you know how to pick mushrooms? It's three days after a heavy rain on a hill. And what's cool about that part of the story that I didn't realize before was when Pop first kind of told that story to a group of guys I was with. And the guys kind of like spiritualized it just from like that to say like, oh, that's amazing. That's like Christ dying and like rising yeah. again on the hill and everything. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. You're thinking of it there. But when Pop's telling the story, he's just like explaining it and filling any details. But what I recall from the story is this guy instead of just like being afraid of Pop and running away, he's just calm, cool, and collected. And he strikes up a conversation about Pop about like how to pick up mushrooms. And then after some silence, he just looks at Pop and says, do you know if your mom believes in God? Like, do you know that your mom would go to heaven? And Pop is really taken aback at this. Yeah. Like, what is this guy doing? Ask about my personal business. And, you know, as a man on the run, you're not looking to share a lot of details. And I remember Pop really being thrown off by that question. Do you recall anything else about how Pop shared that moment? Um, no, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, yeah, it's just um, yeah, an interesting experience of like, you know, why is this person even asking about his mom in this time where, you know, he, he you know, we'll find out that she has cancer. Um, so yeah, just a, a weird experience for her him, I'm sure. Right. Um, just like this random guy picking mushrooms, just talking about how to pick mushrooms and then asking us about his mom. Yeah. And so then, you know, pop like kind of gruffly says yes. And just is trying to like, you know, get this guy with the property. And then the guy, um, eventually leaves. And then, um, I remember like a couple of days later, Pop's like really wanting to like, he's thinking about this conversation. It's like really hitting him. And, yeah. and during the conversation, he got the guy's name. And so he decides I'm going to go into town and try to find him. And so Pop goes in to do some errands, but goes into town and on the way into town or, or when he's there, he, he stops by. And I remember him saying that he, he um, maybe it's, it's a woman just on the street. And he asks like, Hey, do you know this man? He, he's sold real estate there. So he thought like maybe he'd be well known in the area. Yeah. And, and the woman looks at him and says, well, gosh, that sounds like this person, but he's been dead for a couple of years. And that's when Pop just like went back to his farm and thought, what just happened? Like, I know I spoke with that guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, who you know, what a crazy experience. Um, and so, you know, you know, obviously Pop thinks it was, um, you know, Angel telling him to sort of like, um, I think that was impactful for him in multiple ways. Right. But he was asking about his, um, you know, pop's mom's salvation. Um, and then to find out that, you know, this guy had been, uh, dead for several years. Um, you know, this is definitely his, like, uh, his come to Jesus moment. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's the term that's thrown out there, but this is a true one for him. Like he's faced with this, and somehow he must get word that his mom has, has died. And like shortly, like in, in this time period, like that's what makes yeah. it so significant. Somehow if a friend gets some word, but he finds out that his mother's passed away and, and we didn't go too much into detail with that, but I just remember like, you know, he couldn't be there at the funeral. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember he, he mentioned that he um, couldn't be there at the funeral because he knew that there would be um, FBI agents there. And uh, he told us that they were there too. Um, so, um, you know, I guess, you know, they thought, 
which is a reasonable thought that he would um, try to make it to her funeral. Um, but in his mind, he, you know, he was like, I can't, I can't go to this funeral because, you know, they'll, they'll be there and they'll take me to jail. So I, you know, I could tell that was hard for him to not um, get to go to his, his mom's funeral. And that was sort of a sad experience for him. Um, you know, because he's on the run, he now doesn't get to be there with his family to, um, you know, have this, have this funeral with his mom. Yeah. And so he kind of laugh and joke about all these crazy stories. And we just had to realize like these are real people's lives and real hurt and pain going on where I remember, you know, talking with, with his sister about it, like it was heavy, you know, here she, you know, she was the one being the caregiver for her mom and, and seeing her mom, like not only be sick with cancer, but just be sick with the fact of not having her son there and not yeah. knowing if he's okay. And, and so I think, yeah, I think that was a big moment in his journey where uh, probably a turning point where he started to think about what am I doing with my life? Um, yeah. And what should I do? What are my options? And so <laughs> I remember at this point of the story, Pop kind of like reflection on, you know, not a lot of people could be on the run as long as I was. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, there's definitely a little, um, a little source of pride there, I think of how successful he was maybe. <laughs> um, but also at the same time, um, you know, the hurt of like having to be so alone through um, this five year period, you know, you can't really share um, your life and details about your life with anybody. Um if you're going to be on the run. Right. So, uh, it was that like, he, he committed to it and did it well aspect. Um, but also the loneliness aspect that he shared. I feel like those are, um, yeah, just parts of the story that really, really stuck out to me. <laughs> um, how like, or at least his perspective was, he was a little bit proud that he could do it, but also it was, you know, kind of a sad, lonely time for him. Yeah. Which is understandable. Right. And, and this is also the time where his, his latest lady friend is mom. So uh, yeah, this is the part of the story that blows our mind that mom and pop meet on the run. Like we're starting to piece these together where growing up we knew that, oh, you know, pop's from Virginia, mom's from California. They met while pop was out working at the ranch. And that's how we kind of knew that story. But here we are, like all of a sudden for the first time sitting in Floyd with pop hearing the story, we're like, holy cow, how did you meet mom and did mom know your real name yeah. and and we learned that no mom didn't learn pop's real name and it was under the alias it was under his fictitious character and his story and uh so they were dating you know casually and and so he's got this relationship with mom and then he's got this moment with this angelic encounter and also I think the third person in the story that's a meaningful one is this pastor that he hears on the radio while he's at the ranch. And for some reason, he's just drawn to like, let me meet this pastor. And so he, he goes and meets this pastor and is at a Bible study. And the amazing part of the story is that I was able to actually have a phone conversation with this pastor uh, just recently. And the pastor is still alive and, and said, yeah, I remember your dad came up to me after this Bible study that I need to talk to you in person. And he confided in the pastor that he was a man on the run and he was thinking about turning himself in and wanted to ask for his help and advice on like what to do next. Yeah. This is crazy. Like, you know, it's, it's so it's, we would trust pop completely, 
but it's just really cool to get these like outside sources to like, <laughs> tell yeah. us the details, you know, for the yeah, different perspectives totally. of like whatever happened. And so at this point, I think this kind of transitioned into the next phase where he turns himself in. Yeah. Which, I mean, as you're saying, so he met mom under a different name and I just kept thinking, how did they end up getting married? Right? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> how do you marry somebody when you <laughs> when you have to relearn their their name at some point right <laughs> this is crazy um, it is crazy so he yeah so he he meets up with the pastor and then um they find out or you know pop decides he's going to turn himself in at this point he's become a christian and um you know is like that's just what i need to do is the right thing to do and so yeah the pastor was just, I mean, what a blessing to have in his life at this point. Cause I feel like the pastor just went above and beyond to help him out. Um, and yeah, I guess I, I don't remember if there was some specific reason, but he decided he and the pastor decided that they're going to turn, uh, he was going to turn himself in, in San Diego, I believe. That's um, right. Yeah. This, they're kind of in the, the Bay area, like you said, um, and then Northern, maybe, maybe more North. And then yeah, they made that strategic decision of we're going to turn himself in. And you're right, he'd become a Christian. He, he was baptized. He had learned like how to play the guitar. I was doing like some worship music. I mean, here's this like a man on the run, rough guy, turned believer, puts his faith in God. He gets this Bible that, that I have. This is the cool part, you know, like I've got this Bible. Yeah. It's older than we are. Duct tape pulling it together, which duct is tape classic pulling together. pop and he gets into the word and like he's he's all in like you said i mean he was committed to being a man on the run and now here he is being a committed man towards god and trying to yeah. do the right thing and at the same time you know trying to process like what does that right thing look like and this is some heavy stuff where he's having to contemplate like this is going to change my life if i turn myself in but i think this is the right thing to do and you're yeah. right before the because before the, i i think at this point um his warrant, it wasn't just five years anymore, right? Um, I think it, it was something crazy like that had been increased like 20 or 60 years or something like that. It was like the maximum that he could potentially get. Um, yeah, this is serious stuff. Yeah. So it wasn't, you know, yeah, it wasn't, I mean, I don't know. He's definitely thinking, okay, I'm facing jail time. And this could be, you know, for a long period of my life. Yeah. Yeah, not a light decision to make and yeah. you know the pastor like you said really helped him and and helped to think okay let's they'll be easier on you in san diego i don't know why they had reasons um but then also pop writes a letter to mom and he yep. writes a letter to mom <laughs> and he says like he just shares the whole story and says like hey my name isn't ken it's calvin <laughs> like like coming clean and to say i'm about to turn myself in here's what i did yeah. I hope we can reconnect later. I mean, like this crazy stuff <laughs> that is just so bizarre. And once again, you have to think to yourself, this isn't a movie. This is real life. This is my father, like yeah. and mother and the and, story. And can you imagine mom getting this letter from somebody? Like, not only is it a letter like, um, hey, you're not going to see me again, probably. Right. Or or like, yeah, I'm just, I'm going MA, but like, also this isn't my name and this is my backstory. And I've been on the run for five years. <laughs> just yeah you just put yourself in your shoes and you think this is a miracle that i'm alive that I, that yeah. we exist yeah <laughs> so then the pastor tells me the story of like when they went to san diego to turn pop in the complete opposite happens like instead of this being the place that 
he should be well cared for and everything's going to be easier. They like pin him down and put him in cuffs as soon as he like walks in. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because they knew who he was or the records or just like, that's just how they handle people. Like, yeah. But it just seems like so ironic that they like were strategic to go down there. And he says like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I felt so bad. Like the pastor remember that moment. Cause he said, Oh man, it just did not go the way that we thought. And so, you know, I don't know how long he spends in jail in San Diego, but eventually he gets shipped back to his trial. And from what I remember, what Pop said, it was actually in West Virginia. Yep. Yeah. And I, I also remember Pop mentioning kind of something unique happened when they went to the court in uh, in there as they were trying to find records. Do you remember that story? Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, yeah, I guess that they went in there. Um, I don't, I don't know if this is, I guess this is when he was getting processed or something. Um, but yeah, there was, they were trying to find his arrest warrant um, and they couldn't find it for a while. And so, you know, Pop's going through this moment of like, are they going to, am I going to get off without, like, if they don't find this arrest warrant, what happens? Like, do I get, a, get to go free or what? And, uh, and yeah, he's just sitting there like hoping they don't find this, I guess. <laughs> but they do eventually find it. <laughs> and he does <laughs> eventually have to have his day in court. <laughs> yeah. And then he does have his day in court. And uh, so his dad comes and his brother's sister comes. And then the pastor comes as well. Yeah. Which is crazy great. that he's you know, gone through these five years. And um, is you know, testament, testament to our granddad, um, who, you know, just always loved and um, cared for Pop, um, even through this period, you know, and was there uh, for this court date. And the pastor, you know, arranging... Um, the the situation in san diego and flying out um you know to be there in court was just um crazy that pop had uh you know these solid people in his life still right um even though he Mm -hmm. made the choice to be on the run for five years and um yeah so it was crazy but uh but yeah his family was there and and the pastor was there yeah and i think granddad flew out the pastor you know yeah yeah that the pastor told me, um, so just to speak to the character of granddad and, and, you know, how, how amazing is this to, to be able to see a real life version of the prodigal son story from scripture right. where you've got granddad, the, the dad, the father welcoming pop back up with open arms. And not only that, but being there on his court date, uh, flying in a character witness essentially on pop's yeah. life, how he's turned himself around and how committed granddad was to pop during this time where he could have just said like, look, you've disgraced me and the family. And, um, you know, your mom passed away without you there. And it, it, it just seemed like it, the complete opposite happened where he just totally, you know, was there to support Pop and, and same thing with his brother and sister. Um, and, you know, once again, we'd reflect on how people never share this with us. Like our uncle and aunt could have shared this story with us. Yeah. Cousins could have like, you know, it was just not shared until we had a chance to hear from Pop, which was such a blessing to be able to hear it from him. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember a moment in... Um... Uh, I don't know if it was when he was being processed or in court, but, um, you know, something that he uh, told them was like, you know, I'm here to, to do my time um, to turn myself in. Um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to share with you any other people or turn anybody else in. I'm just here to uh, turn myself in. And I was like, yeah, that's, that seems like another, um, you know, a uh, story of, of who Pop was, right? Um, you know, this is a moment where he just said, you know, I need to turn myself in, but he, 
uh, you know, wasn't going to turn other people in or make a deal or whatever, um, which also is um, surprising to the outcome of this, right? <laughs> if he was very much just like, I'm here to serve my time, I'm not going to help you guys out at all, but... <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that, that's what Pop articulated to us, just taking responsibility. So like doing the complete opposite that he'd done for the last five years of owning up to what he had done, taking complete responsibility to the point of like saying, just put it all on me. I'm not going to share any other names. And then naturally the opposite of what you think happens where he, he doesn't get any jail time, which is crazy. Yeah. He does, insane. Yeah. And, and he does become a convicted felon. So he is convicted. Um, he's got that on his record but the judge doesn't assign in jail time and it's all community service work that he has to do from there. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's insane. I think he mentioned that sort of the whole, um, I guess the people that were really looking for him in the FBI, um, you know, had moved on or gotten fired or something, you know? And so um, at least some of the heat was, uh, was off a little bit, but um, you know, crazy that he, didn't have to serve any jail time, right? <laughs> yes, that is crazy. And so that was a blessing. And so that, that's an amazing part of the story. And then how, you know, it's, it's just crazy to think back of, you know, sitting there hearing the, the story from Pop and how he's sharing this and we're thinking, oh man. And, and uh, he went to, yeah, to, to get the letter. And the one letter that he was able to find later in life, he was able to uh, get the, felon removed from his record yeah uh so he could vote again and buy firearms again and just kind of got, like restored citizenship yeah. fully uh which once again was like another proof like this is real i remember i think it was governor wilder in virginia i think that i think the letter was from there um but that was the one piece of paper that he was able to find yeah um, yeah that was story. both he and mom um sort of shared that was a that was an impactful moment for pop you know he was uh, he was, you know, kind of ashamed of, of his past and being a felon um, and not having his freedoms. And uh, so he was really proud of that, of like, um, you know, getting his freedoms back, um, being able to vote and being able to, um, you know, own guns and all the other stuff. But um, yeah, he was definitely proud to, to show us that. Um, it's yeah. not surprising he'd kept it around for so many years. It was meaningful. Yeah, that's part of his story. And and then I think we were the ones to say, like, well, uh, how did you get mom back? You know, like, what kind of yeah, yeah. on, like, how that happened? <laughs> <laughs> and he and mom are just so nonchalant about it. But I think it was like a, a one of their mutual friends helped them reconnect. And he sent another letter out to her saying, like, hey, uh, instead of living in a van or on a ranch, I've now got a house and a job in Virginia. Do you want to come out? <laughs> yeah. Which is, I mean, just a crazy story too. I think, um, you know, the <laughs> this how I remember it and hearing from uh, our grandmother, it's like at I don't know how, I don't know you know exactly how they got um, uh, reconnected and and um, you know sort of the the duration between these events, but you know from uh, our grandmother's perspective, my you know mom tells my grandmother that she's going to go and visit, um, you know, Calvin in Virginia and my grandmother knew who, um, you know, pop was at this point. Um, but not very well. Uh, and you know, grandmother says, you know, mom comes back from this trip, um, which I can only imagine, you know, is like probably the first trip that she sees pop since then. 
but I could be wrong, right? But in my head, that's how it plays out because of how, uh, you know, our grandmother tells the story. So she, she uh, goes to pick up mom from the airport and, you know, mom comes out uh, and just waving a ring that she, she, had, she had flown out to Virginia, got engaged, uh, came back to this man that, you know, our grandmother was just, you know, kind of new. <laughs> uh, yeah, they ended up having the wedding in California. So I'll have to have mom do it a podcast interview with her to get all the details of that. Oh, it yeah, is so crazy. And here we are just hearing the story for the first time. We're sitting down there with Pop at this story weekend and we hear this and just like reflecting on it, you know, it takes time. And, and we hear this from Pop uh, and it's been like a full afternoon, you know, uh, and, yeah. and this is like what he has on his heart to share with us is this pivotal era in his life of being a young man, trying to figure life out and coming to uh, just a reconciliation moment with, I need to turn myself in and turn my life around. And, and, uh, you know, he really like that was what was on his heart. There's, you know, he lived a, a lot more life after that, but that was, that was really it. And he wanted to share that with us that day. Yeah. And he's super impactful because, um, you know, we didn't have a ton of time with him, uh, after that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, just a wonderful, um, experience, uh, to go up there and hear a story from him. Um, and, yeah, just get to sharing that a little bit, you know, and share it with you. Uh, yeah, just like one of the one of the best memories I have um, with Pop. So, um, just just a great experience, and um, and like I said, just so much learning of of who Pop was <laughs> in that afternoon, you know, that day of like hearing his story and um, understanding how that could have shaped the man, you know, he was. Uh, you're right. And behind me, I've got the picture of us at dinner that night. So. Uh, framed on the wall and after we hear pop story we go into floyd and, and grab dinner together and i find them like i need to i need to like have a moment to remember this by and yep. so i give the camera to the waiter and he took a picture of us and i remember that night was kind of fun because it was the first time that we did the card roulette yeah uh-huh and we'd never done it before and pop just thought that was hysterical oh yeah i know it was <laughs> there's been a, only only a couple times one time I did this in college where uh, I went back, like, I, or maybe, I don't know if it's college or just after college, but I, um, I came back and we had, uh, you know, breakfast or brunch out um, when I was back home. And it was, uh, you know, me and, and Sophie and pop and mom. Um, and I, uh, I, before we had finished, I went and paid for the meal. And uh, I remember Pop. Pop seemed genuinely kind of insulted <laughs> that I did that. <laughs> so I was trying to, trying to do you know something where I would you know I would do that with like uh, friends every now and then or whatever you know, uh, just because you know Pop always got our meals and and just did so much. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, I'll just do this thing and, and get a meal. But of course, when Pop's on, he's like, why would you do that? Like that's like insulting. I want to be the one that <laughs> pays for this. <laughs> so that I'm sure credit card roulette was. Um, uh, unusual for him <laughs> to experience. <laughs> yeah. And so we all threw in our cards and we gave it to the waiter and said, all right, we're just all giving you our card and just randomly pick one. And the waiter was like pushed off by it, like did not yeah. want to do it. Yeah. And we were just joking like, no, 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 do it. go ahead and do it. And I think you won the prize. You got to pay for it one yep, that night. I did. I did. <laughs> the second time I got to pay for Pop's meal. <laughs> That's right. Oh, and, and like you said, that was a super special night for us. And I remember after dinner, we you know, hung out a little bit more and then we had to go back into town because our wives were in town. And 
And I, I remember I said, Pop, like, what do we tell our wives? You know, yeah. like, just, they're going to ask us. And I'm so glad I did because then he said, he just laughed and he said, well, I'll let you decide. You know, like he kind of left it up to us, which made me feel a lot better about telling our wives because, you know, in, in Pop's world, you could just hold on to secrets. It's no big deal. Like you don't have to share details. Yeah. But, you know, in the in the modern relationship, you don't you don't have so many secrets, and right, this is not yeah. normal. And so our wives were not about to have us say anything of like I'm not telling you. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad that Pop kind of opened that door of opportunity for us to share his story with our wives, and then yeah. you know to to bring them up to speed as well. Because, like you said, I mean, it was just it was a divine moment and experience. Because just two weeks after that, that's when Pop had his heart attack. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's just really great that, you know, we, Pop was, had it on his heart to share that story with us, that we, um, you know, try to make that happen pretty quickly. Because, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it would have been horrible to not have that experience uh, and to have to hear, you know, from, um, you know, from mom and his family. It was way more impactful getting to hear from him. Yeah, yeah, it truly was. And that was a gift. I mean, for me personally, they say that there's those different uh, stages of grief. Because for us, it was just yeah. such a surprise to get the call that Papa passed away. And there's the anger stage. You know, you got this denial, you got this anger before you can get to like processing and accepting. And I just kept referring back to that moment of like, how could I be angry with the opportunity that I had to hear Pop's story the way that we did? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's the story. Any other um, any other details with that? It's it's crazy to share it again with you. You know, you just know. once again, it just becomes more real of how crazy it is and how you just how you make assumptions of people's stories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, even parents. And so, I don't know if anyone's listening. Try to be intentional and hear your parents' story. And let them share it the way that they want to share it when they do, and and you'll get the best version of it because that's. I felt like we got the best version of Pop's story because we didn't pressure it. It was his time and he wanted to share it. Yeah. 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 What a great moment. Oh, it totally was. And, and, you know, and so that's what, you know, so now that we know Pop's story, uh, you know, it inspires me to have conversations like this with you just to reflect on it and carry on the legacy and also to be intentional about trying to be hardworking like he was trying to be a provider like he was. And I remember like he used the word hardworking in a moment of the day of his funeral, we were having a public event, a public reception in downtown Radford where he grew up. But before the public event, we had a family only brunch and we had an opportunity for people to go around the circle and share a pop story or a word or a prayer or something of that nature. And I remember what you shared was the reflection of Poppy and hardworking. Yep. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, that's like, um, I mean, he had a lot of great, um, uh, you know, characteristics that molded him and, and shaped us. Um, but that's definitely the one that stood out to me um, that has been the most impactful in how I live my life um, and trying to have that hardworking attitude with, you know, whatever, um, whatever I find uh, to do, you know, um, whether it's being a parent or being a good um, worker in my um, career or um, just things to do around the house. Um, and even just, you know, working hard in relationships, which 
um, you know, I, I don't uh, always have success in that, but I think it's just something that has been um, a continual um, thought in my head um, to try to be hardworking and to try to limit <laughs> how I complain um, when I, um, you know, need to do hard things. Mm. Well, that's a great way of carrying on his legacy. And I think this is just so special that we can reflect on Pop's life on Father's Day. Yeah. And, and, and hopefully to encourage others, but just for our own healing, you know, it's been three years since Pop passed away. And I find that these types of conversations are good to honor his life and to renew the, the desire to, you know, follow his lead and, and to do it the yeah. right way. So um, I hope, I hope it's been an enjoyable experience uh, for you to spend some time. To oh, definitely. Pop's life. Yeah. It's always great to, um, yeah, reflect on Pop and, and uh, just reflect on that story. You know, it's just such a, such a fun um, night for me and a great uh, memory um, that I got to have with you and Pop. Yeah. Super special. Well, uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time on your Father's Day to do this with me. Of and, course. Uh, yeah, anything else that you want to leave our listeners with, with uh, um, about Pop? No, I don't. I mean, hey, you guys heard the story, you know. <laughs> but he, you know, I think, um, I don't know, another another aspect of him, which we, we didn't touch on too much, but, um, you know, he had this sort of this uh, private and hard exterior, um, a hardworking attitude, um, but he was also just super generous. And I think, I'm sure was impacted by the generosity of those, um, you know, from his pastor and his, his family, his dad in particular. Um, but, you know, he loved um, being generous to those um, that were uh, less fortunate um, and to just try to help people. Cause he, um, he had a lot of opportunity uh, that he maybe didn't really deserve, you know, considering his, his um, history. And so uh, that was another big impactful thing for me where I got to see him um, give his time and, and um, resources to help uh, tr try to lift up um, people around him. Um, you know, I think some of the guys that um, we had, uh, some of our friends and some of the people that we worked with at the furniture store specifically, he sort of tried to take um, and help out and give opportunities to um, that I saw that I was like, this is, you know, this is um, just part of his character to try to use some of his resources and time and energy um, to give extra opportunity to those around him. Um, and so uh, that's also been something that, that is on my heart, I think, largely because of Pop. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of good stories that we could share about all the way that he was generous with his as you mentioned his time, his money, his resources, and, and trying to pour into lives of others before they yeah. could really do, you know, do it for themselves. Um, and, you know, some of the stories really came to the light after he died. You know, mom was willing yeah. to share more of those stories and other people would share them with us as well. And how nice is that to see someone's quality become more and more um, apparent and how he didn't have to boast about it. He just lived a, a life, you know, of, of character and you, I think that makes it more special. Like when you see yeah. his, you know, you see his handwritten notes in the Bible or you hear the stories of how he helped out people. And um, you're right. He did make a transformation too later in life as a grandfather and to see him like such a soft hearted man and would love, yeah. love on his grandbabies. And uh, that was the hardest part of when he passed was just to think like, Oh man, you know, our kids aren't going to know pop. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's, that's rough to think about. 
um, very thankful for the time we had, you know. Um, but yeah, it's 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 hard, uh, you know, knowing that they are, are, you know, kids will not have as many memories as they could have had if we had more time with them. So, you know, hopefully this is a gift to, to other people to hear and be inspired by. If they, they might be that prodigal son. They can turn their, son, their life around like Pop did. There's hope for them. And also just to have an appreciation for their father. And if they don't know their father's story to, or their parents' story to reach out and to do because you never know what hidden gems are there. And at the same time, just having something for our family to remember Pop by so our kids can, can watch and can learn from and can be part of the story as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Become a Provider and the repost of the story of my father. If you're interested in joining the upcoming small group starting September 2021, applications due by August 1st, please let me know. Go to justinthomascoaching.com or the nonprofit named after my late father, clthomasfellowship.org. That's clthomasfellowship.org and put in your application. Would love to partner with you and encourage you on your journey of becoming a provider as we reflect on our late fathers and the lessons that they taught us. So. Thanks again for supporting this podcast. And if you'd like to receive a weekly kind word from me, go to my website and sign up. It's a weekly newsletter each Wednesday. I help you get over hump day with some words of positivity and things that are blessing me. Thank you once again for listening. Bless and protect. Mm -hmm.